Hey, um, so we are starting this new series, and so if you want to open up your Bible, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning, and uh, I'm super excited about this sermon series uh, for a number of different reasons, really a lot for the content, but uh, there's one other reason that I'm excited about this sermon series is because you can see that there's this emoji theme throughout the uh, sermon series, and I have my own, my very own emoji. It's called a Bitmoji, so here it is, right? What? It looks just like me. It's awesome. I even wore a sort of a reddish colored maroon shirt today so I look like so I can match my emoji. Now, the truth is I don't say woot very often, but I may just be saying woot a whole lot during this sermon in this sermon series. So, all right, get that off of there. Um, so we, um, we're doing this sermon series, and uh, it's called Five Words That Can Change Your Life, or Five Words That Will Change Your Life. And, you know, words are powerful things. You know, words can build up. Words can tear down. Words can encourage. Words can help us. Words can help us get through things. And so each week, we're going to look at a different word. And um, this is not one of the words that we're going to look at, but this week, a word in particular really came to life for me, and it's the word Goodbye. And um, so my son Riley is, uh, we have uh, four kids, our oldest Emily is in college, and my son Riley is going to college this fall, and so I drove him to Texas this week, and so settled him in his dorm room, and then they do a thing in Texas at, at uh, TCU where he's at called Frog Camp, and so there's like, I don't know, 300 kids who went on this frog camp where they kind of get to know each other and do crazy adventures and things. And so uh, on Thursday at, at lunchtime, uh, I'm lined up with a whole bunch of other parents and kids, and and we're and he's kind of lining up to go into um, for, to go to frog camp, and so you got to kind of picture there's a line of people, uh, there's me, there's Riley, there's a bunch of other kids with all a piece of paper in our hand, and then there's somebody taking our paper at the end, and so we we walk up and we give them the information, you know, the medical forms and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then all the kids are going, all the college kids are going kind of behind this door into a gym or something over there. I can't see what's over there. And so we give the paper to the, uh, the lady taking the, the papers, and she says, no dads allowed past this point. I'm like, what? You know, it was, I didn't realize that. And so she said, but you can step over there and say goodbye to your son. And so, so Riley and I step over to the side, uh, and he says goodbye, and um, and I just start crying. Like, it was super emotional. It's just, and, and, and basically, he says goodbye, and then I just sprint out of there because I don't want his friends to think that he has some sissy crying dad kind of thing. I'm like, that's a bad, you know, oh, you're that kid, the dad. Uh, you know, I didn't want him to have to deal with that for his four years as being a horned frog at TCU. Um, but, I, but I, you know, it's the kind of thing like that one word brought a flood of emotion to my life. And so we're going to look at a different word each week, one word each week, and we're going to see the power of that in our lives. And here's the thing, as you, as you and I, as, as we observe human nature, here's something that you probably have noticed, that in all of us, all people the world over have a common set of desires, a common set of needs and wants that they have. And it doesn't matter if you lived, you know, 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, or if you live in Kenya, or if you live in Haiti, or you live in Charleston, you live in Los Angeles or New York, there are parts of just the human psyche, the human need that are the same, the desires that we have, desires for love, desires for 
peace, desires for security, desires to have significance in this world, the curiosity about what's beyond, what's beyond the end of this life. Everybody the world over, all cultures, all people, men, women, everywhere have these same common desires. There's a quote that I love um, by C.S. Lewis, and he says this. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. I think that's so profound. Everybody takes this action, whether you want to go to war, whether you avoid war, whether you hang yourself, whatever action, we're always trying to find this satisfaction in life. But everybody looks for it differently. Some people look for it in this way, some people in that way. But that's the common desire that all of us have. And so what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to look at one word each week, and that one word is going to direct us towards how do we find meaning and purpose and significance and peace and love and these things that we desire. How do we find that in life? We're going to look at it through one word each week. So that's where we're going. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for the opportunity to worship, to be together, to celebrate kids getting older and moving up and moving on. Um, But I pray, God, as we look into your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would show us, that we would be able to see uh, just the words and the story come off the page today in a way that speaks to us and how we live our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, the message title is No, and um, I actually have a bitmoji for no. Do you want to see it? Here we go. Isn't that awesome? I can get one of these every week, I think, so. You know, so the word no um, is a word that when we were kids, we loved to say, right? And even in my house, the word no with kids around and all that still echoes through the house. Eat your vegetables. No. Clean up your room. No. Share your stuff. No. And then Stacy says to me, Matt, you need to set an example for the kids. <laughs> you know, but, but growing up, we say no a whole lot, right? But then something clicks in us, and I don't know what age it is, and maybe it happens gradually or all at once, but something clicks in us that we realize that if we say yes, then people like us a whole lot more. And so now we turn our no into yes, and we begin to say yes to everything. We say yes to our boss. We say yes to an appointment. We say yes to a committee meeting. We say yes to a volunteer job. We say yes to kids' activities. We say yes to going back to graduate school. We say yes to more kids' activities. We say yes to coaching our kids' team. We say yes to a bigger house. We say yes to a new car. Yes to a credit card loan. Yes to a weekend out of town. Yes to a vacation. Yes to another night out. Yes to another kids' activity. Yes to, and the list goes on. And we say yes, yes, yes. And then finally we're like, oh no, I am overcommitted and I am overspent. And we get to that point where what was something interesting and fun that we kind of look forward to, we say yes to so many of those things 
that we become exhausted and we become overwhelmed. And what was enjoyable is no longer enjoyable because we're packing everything into our lives financially. We're packing everything into our lives in terms of our time. And so this morning, we're going to learn how to say no. And let me give you a principle to start out with. And you can write this down in your own words, however you want to write this down. But it's this idea that when we have clarity of purpose and when we have clarity of priority in our lives... It enables us to say no. When we're clear in our purpose, when we're clear in our priorities, it makes saying no easier. Not necessarily easy, but it makes it, say, makes it easier when we understand where we're going and what our lives are to be about. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus. And you know, it's interesting, when we think about Jesus... We typically think that Jesus said yes to a lot of things. You know, he said, yes, I will heal you. Yes, I'll teach you. Yes, I'll come to your house. Yes, you can come with me. And, you know, there's a lot of yes. But in fact, part of Jesus' ministry was saying no to things. And we're going to look at one of these sort of no scenes in the life of Jesus. And so turn there if you haven't. And this is Matthew chapter 4. And you may notice that the front of the top of Matthew chapter 4 says the temptations of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus. And I've, I've spoken on this before in the past at River Church. And, and as you can tell, we're going to talk about time and, and money. And how do we spend that? And I've talked about time margin and financial margin before. But really in a new and fresh way, I've looked at these two things together and sort of it's an aha kind of thing. When you put the temptations of Jesus and the time margin that we desire in life, and you put these two things together, we get this great outcome of understanding temptation as it relates to saying yes to everything. So, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want to stop right there and talk about just a couple of things. First of all, if you have a Bible, underline or highlight the word Spirit. Because what we're talking about here, when we talk about saying no, we're talking about saying no as we are led by God. In other words, it comes back to this, when we understand the priority of God in our lives, when we understand the purpose of God in our lives, then that's what leads us. And so this is the Spirit leading Jesus. And we want to take that same sort of outlook into our own lives and say, I want to say no, not for self-protection or not for selfishness or not for self, but really I want to say no to things so that I can be who God wants me to be. I read a um, little article this week, and a guy used a phrase, and I wish this was original to me, but he said, no is the scalpel that can remake our lives for God's sake. That no is the scalpel that we use to carve things out of our lives to push us towards what God wants us to do or allow us to what God wants us to do. I'm in a, uh, a men's group, a ridge group, that meets uh, uh, one morning a week. And we read a book recently uh, by a guy named Bob Goff. And he wrote a book called Love Does. And uh, in every chapter, he begins with, I used to think this way, but now I think this way. And he, all these chapters start with that. And one of them really stood out to me. He said this. He said, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I used to be afraid of failing at things. But now I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. 
I'm afraid of putting my time and my effort and my life and my money and my, my energy towards something that just doesn't matter. The other f- word I want you to see in this says, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And, you know, when I think of wilderness, I typically kind of think of a couple different sort of nature scenes. I think about like the Serengeti as a wilderness, and there's a, a lion waiting, you know, to crouch and to pounce on somebody. Or I think about walking through a desert, and there's a rattlesnake that's going to pounce on you. But the, kind of the dangers of walking into the wilderness. And every day we walk into the wilderness of things around us. If you think about the world that we're in, especially as it relates to time and money, the entire world is always after us, the marketing world especially, to make us get the next thing, to make us want to do the next thing. You know, there's this expression, FOMO, fear of missing out. And that's what marketing is about. If you don't get this next car, you're going to miss out on the If you don't get this next phone, if you can't connect to the internet in 0.001 seconds, if you can't, you know, oh, I'm going to miss out. And that's the world around us. And you can see it in advertising. You can see it on magazine coverage. You can see it in TV shows. Everything is this, hey, we don't want to miss out on anything. And Jesus walked into this wilderness, and we walk into a different kind of wilderness where the, the whole world is coming at us, and you got to go, go, go. you got to do, do, do. you got to spend, spend, spend. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on what life is about. And so here's the first temptation, beginning in verse 2. It says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, never underestimate the power and influence of Satan to affect your life. The craftiness that he has, the cunningness that he has. If you look what happens here, it says that he offers him bread. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. When I miss one meal, I get hungry, hangry, whatever that word is, right? I'm like, I want to eat. Jesus missed 120 meals. And so what does the devil come and tempt him with? Come and turn the stone into bread. It's brilliant on the part of Satan. And that's something that we need to be aware of. And then we can see by Jesus' answer, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We can see that there's something going on more than just, it's not just about rocks and bread, there's something else going on. And what Jesus is doing is he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Let me read you the context of this. And this is Moses who is speaking to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, And it says, and he, and so that's God. And so, and God humbled you, the Israelites, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you, excuse me, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, Israel's problem is that they were fixated on bread. They were fixated on food. They were concerned about where it came from. They were concerned about what it tasted like. They were concerned about how they could get more of it. They were concerned with how they could sort it. They were fixated 
on bread. And so God, through the words of Moses, said to them, your focus is in the wrong place. Your value is in the wrong place. You're all about where can we get the bread? Where can we get the bread? But you got to understand, Israelites, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when Jesus quotes this verse back to Satan, he says the same thing. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was saying, Satan, you are trying to push me towards things that I don't value. You're trying to push me towards the wrong priorities in life. And so that's the first temptation for us. And we're going to label it this way. The temptation of misplaced values. That we just, we put our heart, we put our lives in things and toward things that were never intended to give us value. We put all of our time there, all of our money, all of our thought there. And those things were never intended to give us value in the same way that the Israelites were fixated on bread instead of the word of God. You know, why do we, why do we do that? Why do we put our time towards these things? I think a lot of it is because we've bought into this lie that do, do, do is how we feel fulfilled about ourselves. You know, and so we say yes to all these things. We say yes to the volunteer opportunities that come along because when we volunteer for things, we do things, and we're always busy, we feel like I have value because I'm doing things. I'm on the go all the time, and so I'm busy. I must be accomplishing something, and we get our validation from that. You know, and we say yes to our kids' activities. We, we put our kids in all these activities, right? And I'm not saying don't put your kids in activities, but we put them in so much because we think that that's what's going to make them well-rounded. We want them to be in all this stuff. We feel good about a parent, us as parents because our kids are doing stuff. But yet, is that what we want our kids to be or do? You know, we, we think about, so you think about that. And, and here's the thing, the, the flip side of this temptation is where does value come from? Does our value come from what we do in the busyness in our lives? No, the value for who we are comes in our relationship with God. That's where I find value. It's what God thinks of me. It's who I am in relationship to him, not how much I can do or how much I can accomplish or how busy I can stay in my life. There was a time when Jesus' disciples were doing ministry, and they were having very successful ministry. But he gave them this warning. He said this to his disciples, who again were, were busy having good ministry, but he said this to them in Luke chapter 10. He said, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, don't rejoice that you're doing ministry and all this great stuff is happening. That, that's awesome, but your ultimate rejoicing should be because your names are written in heaven, because you have a relationship with me. You know, and he doesn't say, well, quit doing ministry, but it's a matter of why they're doing things. You know, and so, you know, as we talk about saying no, there are definitely going to be some things that God is going to lead you to and prompt you to say no to. Say, I'm just going to say no to this meeting. I'm going to say no to this new volunteer thing. I'm going to say no to something. But it also may be that God will lead you to do the same thing, but to do it for a different purpose, to do it for a different reason, 
to say, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be a ministry opportunity for me to take tickets at the gate or to work the concession stand or to do this extra committee at, you know, that my boss asked me to at work. doesn't mean you say no to all that, but what it does mean is we say, I understand how this fits into the ministry and purpose of my life as far as what God wants me to do in affecting other people. Here's the next temptation. This is beginning of verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you remember a few minutes ago I said Satan is very crafty, Satan is very cunning? Look what he does here. And again, it's, it's pretty amazing, astounding, but it helps to kind of recognize his tactics. That Satan quotes scripture back to Jesus. So on the first temptation, he says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, for it is written, and he gives him a reason. And then Satan comes back, well, you know what? It's also written, he will command you with his angels concerning you. But again, Jesus says no. Now, I want you to picture this, and, and I want you to picture that you're in Jerusalem, whatever you picture Jerusalem like in about the year 30, and there's the temple there, and you see and you look up, and you say, wow, there's Jesus up there with some guy. He's not dressed in red tights and a pitchfork, by the way. He's up there with some guy, and they're having a conversation, and then all of a sudden, Jesus jumps from the top of the temple and he does like two back flips and an inverted spiral thing, a gainer, two front flips, you know, all the way down. And it's like, wow, that is so cool. And then you're like, oh, he's going to hit. What's going to happen? And then right when he gets to the ground, this flash of light, this picture of angels catching him, and they gently put him on the ground. That would be cool to watch, wouldn't it? Right? That's the situation that Satan is tempting Jesus with. He says, do this, do as many backflips and gainers and inwards and whatever you want to do, spirals and tucks, and then they're going to catch you and the people are going to go, yeah, that was so awesome because I would be down there going, that was so awesome. But Jesus said no to that temptation because his priority and purpose in life was not to please people. His priority and purpose in life was to honor God, to honor his Father. And so here's the second temptation, is the temptation of pleasing people, the temptation of pleasing people. And I tell you, I think for many of us in this room, this is probably the biggest one, that we don't say no when we should say no because we are afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. We're afraid of disappointing somebody else. And so we say yes. And we fill our schedule up and our calendar up and our days up and our weeks up with yes, 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 and things that don't necessarily matter because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. We're afraid of disappointing somebody else. You know, and it's interesting as you, as you think about what Satan did in in kind of twisting the scripture around. Sometimes Satan does that for us in trying to get us to be overcommitted, over busy, where there's no joy in what we do. You know, because it says that we're supposed to love people. The Bible says that we're supposed to serve people. 
And so what can happen is every time there's an opportunity to serve, we do it. Every time there's an opportunity to love, we do it. And we don't have any discrimination or discernment about when to say yes and when to say no because we're not clear on our priorities. But it's sort of this twisted idea of be a servant. Well, I got to do it. I got to do it because God says I have to do it. No, we need to have some discernment. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit and how he guides us and leads us in terms of what we say yes to and what we say no to. Let's look at the next one. This is in verse 8. It says, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So what's going on here? What is it that Satan is offering Jesus? He takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, these can be yours. He shows him Israel, where they are. He shows him the Roman Empire. He shows him the Egyptian Empire. He shows him Babylon. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world at that time. And he says, you can rule over all of these kingdoms. That's pretty tempting. Because isn't that why Jesus came? I mean, Jesus came to rule. And Satan is saying, and you can rule right now over all these kingdoms if you'll just worship me. But here's the thing, is that Jesus didn't come just to rule, you know, in the year 30 AD. He came to rule for all time. He didn't come to rule governments. He didn't come to have a big government set up He came to rule in our hearts. And if he had taken Satan up on this offer to worship him, then he would have missed out on ruling and leading our lives into eternity. So here's the way that we're going to put this last temptation. It's the temptation of the here and now. It's the temptation of the here and now. You know, we have this um, perspective on life that is so short-sighted. You know, we we have this idea of of life that we don't think past the next five minutes or the next five days. Let me give you a couple questions to ask about how you look at time of the here and now versus a longer time frame. Ask yourself this question. How would my life look different if I organized my time and my commitments Instead of in light of the next five days, in light of the next five years. How would that change your outlook in how you spend your time? Or you can ask it really an even bigger question. How would my life look different if I organized my time and my commitments in light of eternity, in light of forever? Because there's only a few things that last forever. There's people, and there's God, and there's God's Word. And some people say Twinkies right? But, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot that lasts forever. God, God's Word, and people. And what would it look like for us to live our lives in light of that, in the way that we spend our time? And we can ask the same question in regard to how we spend our money. How would your money, the way that you spend money, how would that look different if your view was eternal? 
if you were going to give your money and spend your money on things that lasted past the end of your lifetime. You know, this um, week I've spent a lot of time kind of reflecting on time. You know, and as we think about these temptations of, of value, as we think about the temptation of uh, what are people going to think of me, we think about the temptation of the here and now instead of a longer time frame. I've been doing a lot of thinking about the, this week. And that's, I think, in large part because I took Riley to school this week. And, um, and I don't know, it's been really, um, this is sort of inside Matt's brain a little bit, so come with you on or stay out if you want. Um, but it's been much more emotional for me to take Riley to school this year than it was to take Emily a couple of years ago. And, and I'm not really sure why that is. Maybe it's because he's the first boy, or maybe it's because he's going farther away to school. Um, but all these things have set me off sort of emotionally. I, was, I saw an Instagram post um, by uh, one of his friends, Noah, that had pictures of him from when he was little with Noah all the way to when he was uh, like a month ago. And I, I saw him like just started crying. <laughs> I'm at a conference in... Um, in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where I dropped Riley off, and, uh, and I'm sitting next to this guy, and he says, what are you doing in Texas? Why are you here not in Charleston? And I said, well, I came to drop my son, and I just, I just started bawling. I'm like, I was like, <laughs> you know, crying, whiny dad there kind of thing. Um, but I think part of it is just realizing the shortness of life. You know, that we have 18 years with Riley, And now we're kind of sending him off to the world. You know, life is short. The time that we have in this world is short. We have about 70 years on this earth to make an impact for eternity. And it just just has really hit me this week about what are we giving our lives to? What are we giving our money to? How are we spending our time? And, you know, when I stand before God... I know that I'm not going to get everything right when it comes to how I spent my time. Um, but when I stand before God, I at least want to be able to say to God, I examined my life, I examined my time, and I tried to make the best decisions that I could about where to invest my time with my kids, with my ministry, with my wife, with my relationship with you, God. And I want to at least have taken the time to consider that. And so that's my hope and my prayer for you as well is that you would take the time and say, where am I putting in my time? Because if we're really going to make an impact for eternity, if we're going to really make an impact with our lives, with the 70 years that we have on this life, on this earth, then we've got to say no to some things. And probably the greatest example of that that I could ever think of is with Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. And he's on the cross and his purpose is, His mission in life, his significant, what he's doing is to die on the cross for our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we receive him as our Savior, then we can have eternal life when we receive Christ as our Savior. That's why Jesus was on the cross. But if you know the story well, you know that while he was on the cross, a voice cried out to him and said, Jesus Come down from that cross. Save yourself. And Jesus' answer was the title of the message today. 
No. I can't come down. I will not come down because this is fulfilling what God has called me to do, to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And that's the example that we follow, that we say no to the temporary in order to say yes to the things of God that he wants us to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that you call us to a purpose of following you and that we get to live out that purpose day by day by day. But Lord, we also know and recognize that there are temptations that come along that distract us from that. Things that take our time away from where you want us to be. Things that take time away from you and ministry and things that are so much more important, Lord. God, give us some introspection today and over this next couple of days to figure out how do we spend our time and are we investing it in a way that honors you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.